0: Chapter one, story or character?
1: When Jeffrey and I were starting, we, we took a slightly academic view one day and said, what's your prediction about the approach they're gonna take? Are they gonna go more for story? Or are they gonna go more for character? And we found out the answer is neither. They went for conflict. And so if you were to give us a premise to develop, the very first step we would take is, Okay, whatever the premise is, where do we get conflict out of it? Okay. If there are two characters involved, how can we make them butt heads to do something? Because everything would come out
0: of that. Chapter two: How to build empathy
2: for character. Um, and, I, and I talk about this in, in my Pixar um, seminar. So because they masters of this, um, you know, they they tell stories about toys, about monsters, about bugs, about uh, robots, right? Uh, you know, fish, um, rat, they make you care and connect with those characters. So there's there's a whole bunch of techniques and, and you can see what they do and you can know what the t- techniques are. Um, uh, for me, it's like there's three three things that you do that I that you do is is make us make us feel sorry for that character. So they, there's little moments where you can you can create a moment in the story where a character is unjustly abused or uh, unjustly mistreated or insulted or uh, betrayed or neglected, and so it, it, it could be any character. Um, and If that moment is there, you're going to feel sorry for that character. At that moment, it takes an instant. So that's one. If you show that they're like us, if you show their humanity, for example, you show that they care about something other than themselves, that's another technique. So uh, there's a moment in um, the movie, um, Leon the Professional, which is about a, a, a hitman, right? And it opens with him doing a hit and he kills people. You don't know if he's good or bad, but he goes home and he takes care of a plant. Right, and that right away you say, oh wow, he cares about a plant, so he's he's okay, he's human. The other uh, part uh, is uh, admiration. So this is like any, any kind of you know, if you're dating somebody or you're trying to find somebody who's a good match for you, there's that list of list of things that you like in a person. That's admirable traits. So if somebody who's funny, who's responsible, who's courageous. There's a whole list of things you can add to a character to make us say, oh well, you know, I admire this. Usually they're like the best at what they do. They're like the best, you know, the best ad executive or the best agent or the best cop or the best driver. Um, they're courageous. Um, there's a whole bunch of them. I, mean, I have a whole the list. The list is all in, in the book. There's all these lists of things you can do. Uh, but if you do these three things, and I, so when I show clips of the um, of the moment you meet the character and it's usually like a three minute scene, you can see all these things being applied. In like three minutes, there's like you know, the the opening of Wall-E after he's done with the garbage and he comes to his to his little house, it's a three minute scene and there's about twenty of these techniques done. This is how you connect with that character in one scene emotionally. Um, I also show a clip of a of a, of an ad, a commercial. It's a one minute thing uh, about a lamp. It's it's a great ad for IKEA award-winning commercial uh, where they make you care emotionally for the lamp, right? And the, and the the joke about it is that the guy comes on and says, uh, you know, you probably had feeling for these lamps. That, that's because you're crazy. The lamp has, it's only a lamp, it's, you know, and the new one is better, you know, the new lamp to replace it. So, but anyway, but it's great, it's amazing once you, once you know those techniques and then you see them in action, you go, oh my God, you know? And I, and I kind of always feel, I always give this caveat with, uh, to my students and to anybody who. Hears me speak that if you love stories, if you love films, um, and you don't want me to destroy the illusion, uh, do not listen to me because I'm, I feel like I'm one of the magicians who give you the trick of how it's done, and you then you see the trick and it's not the same anymore. So um, I always feel bad about that because you know once you know the techniques and you see a film, you're going to see them everywhere, all the time, and it's going to kind of ruin it for you. So just w- fair warning right there that uh, you know those are those are this is how we do it and that creates that effect, you know, so.
0: Chapter three, a participatory experience.
1: It's not an audience's or a reader's job to feel something. Mm. That's something you have to elicit. So it means you haven't created sufficient conflict in your story to elicit emotion, or you haven't created a premise a concept of a story you haven't structured in such a way that that conflict makes any sense or it can be emotionally involving because you've given the reader nothing to root for or you haven't created empathy with the hero or whatever it might be. But it's your job to elicit emotion. The emotion has to come naturally from the reader and audience because of what what you've done. Um, They have to be participating in the story you've created. That's why for example empathy is so important for the hero, for, for you to create for your hero because a story is a participatory experience for the audience or the listener or the reader. We become that character. We want to experience the emotion as they do. It's not we don't go to the movies because it's interesting to watch people do things. It's emotional for us to get to do them. We become Jason Bourne. We become Rose as she falls in love with Jack and is on the Titanic. We become um, uh, the woman who the astronaut who's out in space in gravity. We are a part of it. We are participating in the action and the events of that story. But we have no basis, no way to get into the story if we don't on a subconscious level become the hero of that story and that's what the empathy and identification you create at the beginning is going to do. So if you've created a story with an empathetic hero so we participate, given them a clear goal and created enough logical, believable obstacles to overcome then the emotion will grow organically out of your audience because they're in it and you've created the conflict that will do that to me all roads lead to the outer motivation and so if all you're doing is stringing together obstacles to overcome and there's a very similar mistake and that is people who think comedy is one funny thing after another happening that's not what that's not what a story is a story is the sequence of events experienced by a hero who's pursuing a very specific goal. So, if you're just throwing one obstacle after another, but we don't care about the hero, or the hero, it's not clear why the hero is doing this, or what they're trying to achieve, or if those obstacles are illogical, or if the pace of the story lags. Or if everything is at a very high level of emotion and you're not creating sort of peaks and valleys to the emotional level so you have big moments and quiet moments and moments of connection and moments of separation and so on. There are all those things you've got to do in addition to throwing a bunch of you know, car chases and fight scenes up on the screen which many people have tried and those movies don't succeed. If If it's just car chases and fight scenes it's just you know it's just a series of videos really but it's not a story or a movie that are people are going to be involved in well it has to alternate yeah it's Mm -hmm. it's not a resting point as if you stay there forever but you don't it's like in a comedy you don't want joke 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 there's got to be a serious moment or two and and look at any great comedy look at even any decent comedy and there's going to be something very funny but then there's going to be something touching or sad Or romantic or there's going to be a deeper connection between the characters or there's going to be something more exciting or there's going to be something softer you want to vary the peaks and valleys the emotional level and and pitch of the story as we go steadily toward the finish line that the hero is trying to reach so the obstacles need to get bigger They need to come closer together as it moves forward so the pace will accelerate. But if there's only obstacles, one right after the other, with no chance to catch our breath, no chance to anticipate what might be coming, no chance to explain what's going on, and no chance to get closer or deeper into the characters, it's going to be a very, very shallow story with very limited emotional involvement or appeal.
0: Chapter 4 learn from writers.
3: My process evolves every time I do another job, I realize how much I didn't know in my prior job. So it's, it's um, I'm somebody who reads pretty much every trick Every screenwriting book, every uh, script that I can get my hands on, and I'm constantly trying to evolve as a craftsman. Um, I also am fortunate enough in this job to surround myself with really talented people, and 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 um, you learn a lot from other writers. Like there were writers on on Men in the High Castle who won Emmys, or you know Martin Scorsese's best friend is another one. Like like you you want to really kind of learn from. From the people around you, and that just makes you better. So I can't say that I have any set process. Uh, although right now, as I'm developing something, I have to say I'm a big fan of the John Truby, um, John Truby stuff. I think he he kind of hits a sweet spot for me. Um, but you know, I've taken him all. I've taken McKee, I've taken everyone. I, I, I'm one of these guys who. It likes to learn new stuff about the craft, and I figure if I can learn something from a, any book, if I get one thing out of it, it makes me a better writer. That's kind of, but uh, I'm I'm all for it. So, I am more of a planner than a pantser Like, um, I, you know, obviously, like Stephen King will say, swears by the seat of your pants approach. Um, but I'm much more of a. Um, an outliner, an engineer, when it comes to that, um, and then you throw that out, and then you, and then you let the character speak to you, and you get in the moment, and, and things change. But, but I also, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of structure. I have to say. So no, I, I haven't just sat down and tried to write something, uh, a final product from page one. I, I, I kind of construct it over time. I'm a grinder, I guess you could say.
0: Chapter five, The Great Weakness.
4: A common notion,
0: particularly
4: about action heroes, the notion was always in the past that when you have an action hero, or especially a superhero, that you want a character who begins as a good person, an upstanding moral paragon, and remains that way throughout the entire story. But about 10 years ago, Hollywood discovered that that's not the best way to tell a superhero story. That's one of those examples of conventional wisdom. That's not so. What we care about is to see a character overcome a deep weakness. Now, the audience thinks that the story is all about the hero achieving his goal, right? Because then we've got success, and that's important. And in most stories, the hero will accomplish his goal by the end of the story. But that is not what the audience is most interested in. They can't tell you this, but we know from lots of experience, hundreds of years of storytelling, that the, case, the, the real fact is not does the hero accomplish the goal, but does the hero overcome the great weakness? Because that's what makes us care about that character. We see them in pain, we see them in trouble, right? If they're already successful, if they're already a good, and in some cases, a perfect person, where where do they go, right? There's nothing for them to overcome. So that's why it's so important that we show in the very opening pages of our script the great internal weakness of our character. Now, we may also want to give them Qualities that are likable qualities uh, that the audience can also hook on But those are not nearly as important as establishing
0: the weakness up front in the story. Chapter 6, Value of an Idea.
5: Most overrated part of the screenplay equation is the idea. Ideas are really pretty useless and worthless. Um, uh, again, uh, uh, forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but... Um I am a uh, uh, one of those people who believes that breaking bad is one of the greatest achievements in the history of civilization. I think it's really great, great drama. Um, so what's the idea that drives it? Uh, a, uh, a high school chemistry teacher um, gets a cancer diagnosis, and so he decides to go into the uh, methamphetamine trade. Um, With an incorrigible former student of his, a criminal, uh, you know, to sell drugs to support his family That is the stupidest idea I've ever heard Many, many uh, companies shot that down Um, And yet it is this triumphant uh, achievement 62 hours uh, of a TV series Every frame of which uh, is engaging and and captivating And... um, uh involving and and uh the uh, uh so how did that happen and the answer is they told a good story it's where the story uh it's really all about story that's what we believe at ucla that's that's what i believe a few years ago, i mean imagine if somebody came up to you and and said hey, i have an idea for a movie uh this guy stutters uh but he has to give a speech so he hires a speech therapist they work on the speech and he gives the speech at the end of the movie If somebody told you that that's going to win the Oscar for best picture and best screenplay you figure uh, they're crazy and yet that is of course uh, the King's speech and um, again, I think it just demonstrates the uh, uh, The value of story and the valuelessness of ideas And I think that very young people are more into ideas. They have great ideas I like to say when you have a great idea if you have a really really great idea for a uh, screenplay, that's all you've got. I mean, what remains after that? Everything. The, the uh, characters have to be invented. The dialogue they speak has to be created. It has to be f- punchy and peppy and provocative um, and pungent. I'm just getting into peas now. Um, and poetic. And it has to be worth listening to all for itself, just because there's something kind of charming about it. But beyond that, it can't be just for itself. It also has to uh, advance the story in a palpable, measurable, identifiable way. Likewise, expand the audience's appreciation of the characters. It takes time. Uh, for me to give you an idea about a movie, I can, you know, it takes a, a handful of seconds to walk you through the story of the movie. It takes the length of the movie, a couple of hours. So that's where the value is.
0: Chapter 7. How to create suspense.
5: A suspense
6: is the anticipation of action. It's not action itself. The minute you have action, the suspense is gone. But what you want to do is create suspense in ways, and action can be anything. That can be something blowing up. You know, we, the, the joke I was talking about in class was the red LED bombs, that, the bombs that have the, the countdown on it, that you can only read if you're going to be blown up. Because, like, no, you know, no one's going to stand that close to the bomb. Um, But as that countdown, that creates the suspense. And that suspense can be anything from Notorious has a bucket of uh, champagne bottles at a party. And as the champagne bottles get pulled out and people are drinking and drinking and drinking, then finally we get to the point where there's no more champagne bottles. Somebody has to go to the wine cellar. And that's where Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman are poking around because they believe that the bad guys are doing something that's hidden in that wine cellar. So the suspense is... Will they run out of champagne before they find the evidence and get out of there and because that's a cool movie it doesn't quite work out the way they planned and they get caught you don't want to jump straight to the action what you want to do is you want to create the suspense the anticipation because that the hitchcock said that you could have a bomb under a table and it explodes and it's surprising and you have like maybe five seconds of the audience going oh my god a bomb exploded or you can put the bomb under the table, the audience sees the bomb, and then you have the two guys have a conversation about anything. The weather, sports scores. And the audience is going, don't you, you know, stop talking about sports scores. There's a bomb under the table. It's going to kill you. you know, you've know, you got to do something about it. And that's what creates the suspense. So what you want to do is figure out the ways to draw things out. And um, I mentioned in the class a, a, a crappy movie called Flesh uh, Plus Blood um, where – um, one of the characters is going to, is trying to poison somebody with their, with their water. And so they take the pitcher of water and they put poison in it. And what happens is then that character they're trying to kill takes the water and pours it into other people's glasses. And you're going, you can't do that, you can't do that, you're going to kill innocent people! And then pours the water into his glass, and as he pours the water into his glass, gets ready to take a drink, and then somebody says something to him, and he stops and has a conversation with the glass so close to him drinking it. And if that guy drinks it first and dies... Then the person who poisoned it can tell everybody else not to drink their water. So it builds suspense in two ways. That way, the, if somebody else drinks first, they've killed an innocent person. Um, if this guy continues this conversation for too long, those people are going to drink first. It's going to be over. Usually, what happens is they don't try to draw it out. They don't tell. They don't. Suspense is based around dramatic irony, where the audience knows something that the characters do not. And often, what happens is they don't tell the audience. So the audience has no idea that the glass of water is poisoned or whatever. And so when the person drinks it, they, they die and you, there's no suspense there. Suspense is telling the audience ahead of time what's going on so the audience knows but the characters don't. And that ends up being the, the big issue sometimes with suspense that doesn't work.
0: Chapter eight, two ways to create subtext.
7: Subtext generated in probably two ways. One is if the topic of your scene is, why are you cheating on me, Um, as it sometimes is, say, with Harj and Carol. You have them talk about anything but that in a way and in a context. So Harj and Carol talking about their marriage whilst Therese is in the other room and overhearing things. You do it in that way. You, you go off point of a conversation. You have a conversation about how difficult it is to repair the damn plumbing or whatever. But, and you do that in order to make your point very clear which is, damn it, this is, this is wrong. All of this is wrong. And the other way which is really a, one of my favorite ways is to just describe behavior in a certain context. So, Carolyn Therese riding in a car. What is she looking at? What is she doing? What is this? What's, what's actually going on? And none of it has anything to do with, um, oh, I don't know, camera angles or anything like that. It's just about what's happening, which is um, the basis of all drama, whether it's a screenplay or, um, or a play. Um, how people inhabit a space at a certain time. That's it. It seems almost laughably um, simple or easy but um, it, it rarely makes it intact to a screen in the way that, that this has enhanced greatly by um, the mise-en-scene and, and, and the performances and everybody in every department just working to preserve a fundamental truth about um, a piece of material.
0: Chapter
8: 9, The Beginning Beetlejuice, for instance, the idea was that I discussed with my partners a psychedelic ghost comedy. We had no idea what that meant, but it rolled off the tongue, right? And, And I usually have something of an idea like that and i kind of know the beginning and i kind of know the end the middle is the great unknown but 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 it's it's an instinct and an idea and sometimes it's a character and sometimes it's a situation but it's very it's very internal at first and 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 yes there's times where you write an assignment you know and 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 you're 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 given an idea and say translate this into a movie, but in terms of my um, my 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 own my my own writing, if you will, my 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 personal writing, it usually comes from from, from just uh, the most basic kind of idea and a feeling, you know, and and, and, and it's like um, and I I'm, I'm, I can't articulate it very well. I'm sorry because it's hard to articulate. But it's just kind of like a, again, like, like like a situation or a character, that's just kind of waiting to come out, and then you whatever you, what, whatever your process is, and boy do you need a process, and boy do you need to go to work, and boy do you need to sit down and do it. And do the job of writing, and 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 you allow that, that character or that situation to just start growing and start start coming, you know, leaving your fingers onto the digital page these days, you know, onto your computer, and then it grows and expands and it takes on life, and and uh, you know, uh, there, there's, of course, and, and this is this is every writer's choice. Uh, there's a lot of talk about backstory. Always, you know, like, like, tell it, you know, where did your character go to school? How, you know, what, what, what was his or her mommy like and all of that? I've never written a backstory in my life, never. But if you ask me to tell me the backstory of one of my characters, I could. I'd kind of be making it up as I went along, but the feelings would be true. Because I feel, I, I, I feel the characters, and I and, and, and I feel like they need to come out, and I feel like they need to be given a voice, and and that's just that that that's that's what writing is to me, uh, um, an idea or a character or a situation or an emotion or a feeling. Um, that, that, that you somehow have to put into the world. And it's hard to articulate, and I, and I feel like I'm talking in circles, but, I, but it's, it, it just, it's almost hard not to because it's so, it, it's so ephemeral in the beginning, you know? I, I hope that makes some version of sense. Chapter 10,
0: Action Defines Character.
5: By setting aside time to invent, just like we talked about Edison earlier, Edison invented the light bulb you have to invent the stuff that he does and says. You have to invent the situation. He's a handyman, um, never really had a really steady job. He goes to one particular house, and in fact, maybe he's having trouble getting, getting work. Uh, and he goes to one particular job, and there's a woman there who tries to seduce him, and uh, so on. Now, what I just said, I don't mean to suggest that that's genius out of out of shakespeare but it is events and anecdotes that i'm inventing um the uh one of the best movies ever made is is um uh double indemnity and what i was just describing sort of sounds like double indemnity i mean first of all uh, how do you like to make a movie about an insurance salesman that's not going to excite a lot of people and yet that's what Double Indemnity is about, so it's the stuff that they do. And as you remember, if you if you've seen the movie, if you haven't, you gotta see it. It's just a, a one of the great, great, great films. Um, he's going out to the to try to sell an insurance policy at one of those mansions in my neighborhood, Los Feliz, Silver Lake, Los Feliz. He says it's one of those thirty-five thousand dollar mansions. I mean, you know, this is nineteen forty-eight <laughs> or whenever it is. I mean, 30, that's not even a fraction of the commission for the realtor, you know, these days. Um, and then he meets this woman there. Uh, and um, it's sort of strange what she's doing. And it, she's very seductive, just like we were describing about our um, uh, handyman. But the point is, it's the action, it's, what, it's the actions that characters take that define their character. Uh, there's a wonderful book, very underappreciated, by a writer who died a few years ago um it's called plots and characters and by the way plots is first not by accident and also in aristotle's poetics the first book on dramatic writing uh he clearly says plot is what's really important not character because again character flows out of plot there isn't any character outside of a plot and if there's a plot there's automatically characters that are that are uh, are, are going to be in it um So uh, uh, once again, I just can't hammer enough on how uh, um, amateurs, dilettantes don't get that, that it's really about story. And that what you, the real work of a a writer is inventing the actions. Millard Kaufman is the name of the writer uh, who wrote the book Plots and Characters. And he has one of the most timeless, brilliant lines in it that I've ever heard. And here it is, uh, I've already said it, which is that it is action that defines character and not the other way around. I'm gonna say it again. It's action that defines character and not the other way around. People who think it's the other way around are the kind of people who are doing these character workshops. We'll invent a a character who has all these traits and qualities and characteristics and then we'll uh, turn her loose and see what what she does. No. Define what she does. Tell us what does she do and that will tell us who she is. That's true in your dramatic narrative that you write for the screen. It's also true in your life, isn't it? I mean, uh, uh, I like to think that I'm a moral, principled, um, reliable, decent person. But I look back at what I've done in my life and I see short changing um myself and others disappointing (laughs) myself and others constantly frequently acting out of fear um i would say my actions define me as a little bit of a coward i'm easily i'm afraid of a lot of things um it's not the way i want to be but uh, but again it's what i do it's the actions the events the incidents the anecdotes in my life that tell me who i am and that tell anybody who who they are uh, and um, that tell audiences in movies, in movie theaters looking at the screen, that's what tells them who those characters are. Tony Soprano uh, is a function of what he does. He's a vicious murderer, criminal. He's also a father and a and a uh, husband. He's also a troubled um, Man who's having um, blackouts, fainting spells, and he's he's worried. uh, He's so worried that he does a really wuss, uh, wimpish thing, which is engages a psychiatrist. You know, a therapist, a woman on top of that. Um, I mean, a mobster, a made man, and the mob doesn't do that. Um, And all of those things define for us who 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 he is again it is not like we have defined the character and then put him into the situations. We put him into the situations and then the situations define the character.